0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11. If you would join me there in your pew Bible, or the one you brought, or... Uh, on your on whichever way you like to read scripture. If you would join with me, let us now hear the words of the Lord. Therefore now, as no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on all things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the faith, those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells within you. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious Lord, we ask your humble blessing on us gathered here. And as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we humbly ask that you would speak so clearly to us that we would know what you would have us do, who you would have us be, so that in leaving this place, we would be not hearers of your words only, but we would go forth as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I think it's fair to say that if you spend any amount of time on the internet, you realize that it's this vast source, this vast sort of collection Of all kinds of information. Some of it is helpful, some of it is not, and some of it's just entertaining to watch. And if you think about that, then you think about the world of theology. In the world of theology, there is theology that's out there that is really helpful in getting us to understand who God is and what God has found. And some of it is not so helpful, and some of it, because it's not in our tradition, is very confusing. And maybe even um, it's foreign to us. Now where this kind of all comes together, this idea of the internet, this vast collection of information, and the vast world of theology, it comes together in a song that was shared with me this week by one of my colleagues. It's what a man who, uh, he subscribes to a, a theology that is more end times, more Armageddon, more rapture driven. This sort of this turn or burn mindset. But he's written this song, and his whole idea behind it was to educate and inform. And so, as, this, as we watched this video, it was full of all kinds of interesting couplets, such as this Doom and gloom coming soon, rapture comes at night or noon. So, we got 30 minutes. Um, or it's got others like Antichrist, he's not nice. Or the final one, you can't win, you can win, I'm sorry, you can win, just don't sin. Now what he hopes he's providing out to the internet, to anyone that will watch this video, this song that he's written, is this chance for us to get right with Jesus, this chance for us to know that we are loved, this chance for us to turn our lives around. But this idea, you can win, just don't sin, that sounds really easy but we know it's hard, right? I mean, we're human. We try to get up every morning. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're going like, to today. I'm going to be my best self. And sure enough, as Susanna referenced last week, someone cuts you off in traffic. And boy, there's the moment where the devil sits right there beside you and goes, what are you going to do now? You're going to wave or honk. And you don't know. See, it's hard to get this idea, this duality of our human nature and what God wants for us. And so in this passage that I read this morning from Romans, Paul understands this. And he's telling the church in Rome, he says, look, you have a choice. You can be voted, you can be looked at the flesh, or you can look at the spirit, And what you really understand is there's this deterrent. What he wants the people to do in Rome, he wants them to turn away from our human nature and focus on what God wants for us this idea of life in the Spirit. This idea of understanding that Christ has come to bridge the gap of that which separates us from God. That by Christ's Spirit, by the actions of Christ, he's come to do what we couldn't do. He has come to save us from ourselves from the condemnation to sin and death to a new life in Christ adopted into the kingdom just as we celebrated a few minutes ago with Mary Clayton being brought into the family of God. So Paul uses this language, this idea of flesh and spirit, this duality to explain the difference between the human and the divine realm. But more specifically to challenge us to think about the ways we look at how we live. See, life pursued, sort of focused on the flesh, this idea of fleshly living, is a life influenced by rebellion and idolatry and a really a sense of self-centeredness where it's all about me and it's all about us and we think we know what's best for us and what we want and we want it now is the right way. But that's juxtaposed to what Paul is saying the right way is. This idea of a life in the Spirit in which we are set free from that life of sin and death and therefore the law because Jesus has come to redeem us. It means that Christ has removed from this idea, this need for self-worship. He's removed that from us and said, just worship me, follow me, do what I say, do as I do. What we'll begin to realize is that in that moment, in that sacrifice of Christ, that we are reconciled and justified before God. So what Paul is really unpacking for us and for the church in Rome is two ways of looking at how we live. First, when he thinks about this idea, this, this idea of the flesh, really it's looking at what is it really about, how we interact with each other, this idea of sins of the flesh how we interact with each other, how we interact with God. In in early Christian teaching, there was this postulation put out called the seven deadly sins. And by 590 AD, Pope Gregory sort of codifies them and says that they are essentially abuses or excessiveness of the human condition. Things like pride and greed and wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. So what makes them bad is how we go about our daily life. So think about the one of gluttony, for example. I mean, we need to eat. So we need to eat to survive, but what happens, when, what happens when we begin to eat more than our fair share, and there are people starving in the world? Or what happens when we eat to the point that we make our bodies unhealthy and sick? See, that's where sin enters in. We focus more on ourselves and less on what God wants for us. Less on what God wants for the world. Often at the 4th of July, as we gather around in parties, someone shows up wearing a t-shirt that says, freedom isn't free. And there's a lot of truth that what we know about our nation's history is we know that there was sacrifice to provide the freedoms under which we live and operate. So there's a cost to this freedom. And what Paul is reminding the people in Rome is that they think that they are free to do whatever they want to do, but there is a consequence to it. Much in the same way you take a new college student, you drop them off at their dorm, and as soon as mom and dad go out the door, they, they raise their hands and go, I am free. I can do whatever I want to do. I can stay up all night long. Who says I have to go to class? Who says I have to, you know, eat in the dining hall? I can burn all of my points at the local... pizza shop or something like that and so they do whatever they want to do and we all know what happens, right? If you don't go to class enough you get behind or worse, fail. If you invert your sleep cycle you're always tired and you're not at your best. There are consequences and Paul is trying to educate the church in Rome to say there are consequences when we think that we can do what we want to do those sins of the flesh that we can live the way we want to live. And the consequence for us is a spiritual separation from God. That we become dead to the promise of God. We become dead to the things that God wants for us. We become dead to the hope and the desires that God has for our lives. And so as Paul is writing this, he's challenging them to not live in the flesh, but instead that there is hope that we find in Jesus Christ and to live in the spirit and what we know about this idea that freedom isn't free we know that there is a cost to be paid and so our salvation comes at a cost it comes at the cost of Christ on a cross that God sacrificed his only son for our sake so that we might rise above death to sin and evil and we might be reconciled to God And so when he talks about this idea of living in the spirit, what Paul is talking about is changing the way we live, about focusing on intentionally the way that we act, the way that we begin to live not for ourselves, but the way God wants us to for us, the way that we live for those around us. So we begin to change our lives from being self-centered to Christ-centered. Our worldview changes from all about me to all about the world and what God wants for it. See, Mahatma Gandhi, when he was uh, looking at the world in which he lived, he sort of looked at it and he came up with what he called were social sins. He says there were seven of them. Things such as wealth without work, pleasure without conscious, knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity, religion without sacrifice, politics without principle. See, there's nothing wrong with with wealth or pleasure or knowledge or commerce or science or religion or politics until we figure out how we're using it or how we are not using it how we interact with the world he was challenging us those that read that wrote those of us that read his writings challenging us to think about how we interact with the world around us which is not not too dissimilar to what Paul is saying to live by the spirit but if you really want to get personal down to this idea of living a new life a new life in Christ take a look at what John Wesley does John Wesley lives his life with 22 questions that he asks himself every day. I'm not going to read all 22 of them, but I want to read a few because they're really convicting questions. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? Am I honest in all my acts and my words, or do I exaggerate? Did the Bible live in me today? Am I enjoying prayer? Do I pray about the money that I spend? Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Is Christ real to me? See, when we take those kind of introspective questions, we start to think about the wake that we cast in the world around us, the dust that we stir up and cover our neighbors with. Is it positive? Is it good for them? Or are we creating destruction in their lives for our own gain? Are we spreading the gospel by the way we live, the way we act, the words that we use? Do we live lives reflective of the cost that was paid for our salvation? See, when we live into these kinds of questions, when we live live these kinds of ways, that we have that life in the spirit that Paul is writing about, and we know the grace about which he writes. But I don't think he's just asking this about us as individuals. I think he's also challenging us as a congregation to ask these questions. Again, look at these words flesh and spirit. Flesh is about the body. He talks about the church in Corinth as the body of Christ, that's who the church is. Friends, when we act in sort of the fleshy sort of way, the bodily sort of way, when we are inwardly focused, when we do ministry based on our personal preference when we claim with statements like well, we've always done it this way we can't change and do something different then what we're doing is we're preserving a museum and at some point with that we begin to be very close to go from being a museum to a mausoleum dead in the spirit dead in ministry but when we're full of the spirit when we're tuned into Christ's call for who called Christ is calling us to be as a congregation, then we have an outward focus. We're going to look upon the world outside the walls of the church and say, we have something to offer and we want to offer it to you, but we want to invite you in to be a part of our fellowship, a part of what we're doing. We get serious about looking around and realizing that there are 18 to 40 year olds all across our community who do not know what we have found in this place. What does it look like when we invite them in? We engage them in ministry. Or ourselves, we engage our own time, our talents, our resources to be involved in the activities of this church. I mean, we, we fill a bulletin with volunteer opportunities of things to serve in the church, but outside the church. What does it look like when we make commitments to use our time and our talents for the good of the kingdom, both in and outside the church? Or we're intentional about our discipleship and how we grow closer to God, and invite others along that journey with us. So this whole idea of invitation is what matters most. I mean, that's what evangelism is about. I guarantee you, if I asked you to raise your hand and said, how many of you came to church, the reason why you came to this church the first time was because someone invited you. I'm going to bet you that 90% of the congregation shows up for that reason. Someone invited you. Friends, study after study shows that the reason why people join a church, become a part of a church, is someone invited them. Folks, if we are doing that, if we are reaching out and inviting people in, then we are living by the Spirit. And we don't have to fear the museum or the mausoleum. Instead, we are a mission and a movement that's growing and being vital. And that's what it means to live in the Spirit and to find a new life and a new freedom in that which God gives us. So where that leaves us today is this. We're in the midst of the summer vacation season, and some of you have taken your vacations. Some of you are on your way to them very shortly in the next week or so. Some of you are living sort of summer vacation eternally because you are retired. And for those of you, I am happy for you. But one of the greatest things I love about vacation is a time to unplug and get away from the daily rhythm of my life. And it's in that moment of unplugging to sort of take stock in life. So let's let this text be one of those moments where we ask ourselves, how are we living? Are we living that, are we living the life that that life that Paul warned us about, that life of the flesh, that self-centeredness? Are we living the life of spirit that God calls us to live, that Paul hopes that we would live? See, when we start to ask ourselves those questions, and we begin to think about that, we don't have to fear the doom and gloom. Instead, what we find is if we know that we want to live the life of the Spirit, then we see the joy that comes in the morning. The joy of Easter begins to be around us each and every day because we know what happened. And we know the joy that comes from being in right relationship with God. So what I hope for us this week is that we'll focus less on ourselves as individuals in a congregation. We'll focus more on the people around us and the ways that we grow closer to God and the ways that we invite people to do the same. Because in the end, that's who we are called to be. A people of God. A people of the Spirit. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.